We're going to open our Bibles to Psalm chapter 19. Psalm 19. Psalm 19 in your Bible. And when you found it, if you'd stand for the reading of God's word, we're going to read the entirety of the psalm. Psalm 19, beginning in verse 1. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament showeth his handiwork. Day unto day uttereth speech, and night unto night showeth knowledge. There is no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. Their line is gone out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. In them hath he set a tabernacle for the sun, which is as a bridegroom coming out of his chamber, and rejoiceth as a strong man to run a race. His going forth is from the end of the heaven, and his circuit unto the ends of it, and there is nothing hid from the heat thereof. The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, yea, than much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is thy servant warned, and in keeping of them there is great reward. Who can understand his errors? Cleanse thou me from secret faults. Keep back thy servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then shall I be upright, and I shall be innocent from the great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my strength and my Redeemer. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the opportunity to open your word. Lord, we thank you for what your word gives us and what it teaches us. And Father, we ask that tonight we have open hearts and open minds to what your spirit has for us from your word. Lord, I pray that you would be with my voice. I pray that you'd give me all the strength that I need. But most of all, Father, I pray that your word would speak to hearts as it's needed. We ask this all in your precious name. Amen. In this passage, in this psalm, it's a very, very simple layout. It's talking about Declaring the glory of God. And tonight what we're going to look at is we're going to look at two things that declare God's glory. We're going to look at two things that declare the glory of God. We're going to walk little by little through this passage. And what you're going to see is that there is an example set for people on declaring the glory of God. So we pick up first in verse 1 of Psalm 19. And well, this one is pretty simple. Verse 1 of Psalm 19 says, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament showeth his handiwork. If you were to continue reading all the way down through verse 6, what you're going to find this teaching us is that creation declares God's glory. I'm going to be honest with you. You cannot walk outside, look around you, and not see God. You, you, you can't do it. Uh, the physical elements of nature 
declare God's glory. To be totally honest with you, I think creation is the strongest argument for the existence of God. You see, I go outside and I see stuff that is way bigger than me. We're killing it tonight. I go outside and I see stuff that's way bigger than me. I'm not saying much. I'm only 5'6". But I see stuff that is, that is enormous, immense in scale, remarkable in grandeur. But I go outside and I see things that are way too complex for me to understand. I like to think of myself as a semi-bright guy. Every now and then, I have my moments, I guess. Um, science is not my strong suit. I will admit, I love my math. I love my history. Science, I just don't get it. So I go and I learn things like biology. And I learn about the human body, for example. And I see a remarkably complex system That truth be told, if I was at the helm, I'd have messed it up big time. You see, the complexity of creation, the way everything works so perfectly together. I'm sorry, in my mind, the world is too big and the world is too complex for it to have happened by chance. It, again, I'm... I'm not sitting here as a science scholar. I'm, not, I'm, I'm just looking at it very logically. When I see the enormity of creation, when I see the complexity of creation, it's way too great to have happened by chance. Let me tell you one more. I go outside and I see some pretty beautiful things. Man, I'm telling you, if you get a chance to wake up at some of these sunsets, I'm... There is no artist who can paint with the colors that God can paint a sunset with. Um, you know, I've, I've been up on Lake Michigan, or sorry, Lake Superior, excuse me, up on Lake Superior in the upper peninsula of Michigan. Beautiful country up there. Absolutely stunning. You haven't seen a, sunri- a sunset, excuse me, you haven't seen a sunset until you're at the top of a mountain in the upper peninsula of Michigan overlooking Lake Superior watching the sunset. There's nothing like it. You see, creation out there is too big, it's too complicated, and it is too beautiful to have happened by chance. The elements of nature show us God's glory. So where do we see God? What do we see about God in creation? And I mentioned a couple already. First of all, it's immensity. Also, it's complexity. It's order as well. There is a system by which everything works. Um, growing, growing up in Michigan, and here I'm sure it's true as well, um, deer hunting is promoted or not promoted as the population fluctuates. 
You get too many deer and it messes with the order of the ecosystem in the area. You get too few and it messes with the ecosystem. Like it, it messes things up. Can you imagine the amount of orderliness it took to, for God to get everything on this planet in perfect balance? Earth is, as I understand it, Earth is tilted in space at a 23 and a half degree angle. Do you know if it was 23 degrees, we'd freeze, and if it was 24, we'd burn up? The, the order of creation, the organization of it, the structure of it, the way that God has it set in perfect balance declares its glory, his glory. But you know, it's not just the elements of nature that declare God's glory in creation. Look in verse 2 of Psalm 19. Day unto day uttereth speech, and night unto night showeth knowledge. There is no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. Their line is gone out through all the earth, and their words are the end, to the end of the world. In them have he set a tabernacle for the sun. Not only do the elements of nature declare, show us God's glory, but also the existence of time shows God's glory. You know, I read this, and I'm, and I'm going to be honest. I, I hear that day after day and night after night. And I may, maybe I hear it a little bit differently, but I kind of hear that day after day after day after day and night after night after night after night. I hear that monotony. But you know what monotony is a sign of? Consistency. You see, we think of the big stuff, right? The flashy stuff. It's the Grand Canyon. It's the Rocky Mountains. It's the, but you know, God receives glory as much from the fact that every single day happens because he establishes it to happen. When you wake up tomorrow morning, you wake, you'll wake up because God allowed you to have another day. When you wake up tomorrow, you'll wake up because God had that sunrise just like it did today, just like it'll do the next day. And when you go to bed, you can thank God for the day that he gave you because that day doesn't happen unless God is making that sun go through its path in the sky. This consistency brings God glory. When we consider God's act of creation in bringing him glory, we also have to consider the act of God's sustaining creation, giving him glory. If you look in your Bible, if you looked in your Bibles and saw in Colossians chapter 1, Colossians chapter 1 begins delineating the preeminency of Christ over all else. It, it talks about why Christ should have first place in everything you do. And when you get to verse 16, it talks about Christ as the creator. But immediately following in Colossians chapter 1, verse 17, it says this, And he is before all things, and by him all things consist. Let me put that in a more simple term. If God's not holding this thing all together, 
then it's all going to go flying apart. So every single day, I wake up to a world not just that God created, but that God is continually, actively sustaining. So creation declares God's glory through the elements of nature, through the existence of time. But this message of God's glory goes through the entirety of the earth. Look again with me at verse um, 3 and 4 of Psalm 19. There is no speech or nor language where their voice is not heard. Their line is gone out through all the earth and their words to the end of the world. This passage consistently remain this passage consistently mentions how far this message gets spread. This message is not isolated to the Middle East, the, the, the cradle of civilization where God began the story. It's not limited to the United States of America, which has, for the last about 150 to 200 years, has really been a Christian leader in the world. The message of God's glory goes throughout all the earth. There is not a person who will wake up tomorrow who can't look up and see the glory of God in creation. I don't care if you're in the most remote location in Africa. I don't care if you're in the most densely populated area of Tokyo, Japan. Everywhere you are, you can look at God's creation and you can see his glory. Paul writes about this in Romans chapter 1. And in Romans chapter 1, as he details it, he says this, For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. General revelation means that God has revealed himself to, his, to all people through his creation. In creation, he has revealed, it says here in Romans chapter 1, his eternal power and Godhead. The simple idea being that anyone who wakes up and sees the creation around them, has to, their mind has to go to there has to be something bigger. Creation does not give enough information for salvation. But creation reveals that there is a God and that he is to be sought after. In fact, if we were to read on in Romans chapter 1, and we won't, but if we were to read on in Romans chapter 1, what you would see is that at the point when man is confronted with the existence of God, he has a choice to make. Whether or not he is going to pursue and seek that that God, that creator, or whether or not he is going to begin to worship something else. And it says in Romans chapter 1 that many people, that the heathen, have chosen to worship the creation rather than the creator. And the, the important part in that is that he, they've chosen. They've had revelation given to them because God has revealed himself 
through his creation. And they have chosen to take that revelation and reject it and believe something else. While general revelation of who God is in creation is not enough for salvation, it is enough for condemnation. If you catch the end of Romans chapter 1 and verse 20 again, it says that they are without excuse. Meaning, they've been given information, they've rejected the information, they've been given revelation, they've rejected the revelation, and therefore, when they stand before God, they have no excuse. And so we see that through creation, we can see God's glory. But we pick up in verse 7 of Psalm 19, and we see not only does creation declare God's glory, but scripture declares the glory of God. Scripture declares the glory of God. Beginning in verse 7, and I don't know about anybody else, verses 7 through um, 11, very familiar to me. I remember singing these as a little kid. Like, so like, I tend to fall into a rhythm, and I... I promise I'm not singing. I promise you tonight I'm not singing. The sound of my voice is bad enough. My singing voice would be even worse. But um, I start to fall into the rhythm. So if I do, I apologize. That's where it comes from. But verse 7 says, The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. Particularly those verses show us three different things about scripture. Number one, it shows us its appellations. Now, yes, that's just a big word for names. Um, I wanted to have some alliteration in here at some point, so... The names used here in verses 7 through 9 teach us something about scripture. Look back at the words that are used. In verse 7, it's called the law, and it's called the testimony. In verse 8, it's called the statutes and the commandment. And then in verse 9, it's called the fear and the judgments. Now, I don't know about you, but those words don't generally bring a pleasant connotation in my mind, right? Like, I'm not generally the one who's going, let's embrace the laws. Like, I, it's, but you know what I found? I have found that I appreciate the structure that laws provide. Kids might butt against this one, but um, it's called the commandments at one point. I don't know about all kids, but at the very least my kids, don't particularly like being commanded to do something. Yeah, you can see their heads are like vigorously shaking no in the back, of course. Um, commandments are not something we, we normally like gravitate to, but do you know what I do like? I do like knowing exactly what's expected of me. And that's what commands do. And so what I like is that scripture 
provides the framework by which man can have a successful walk with God. Did you know when you have a successful walk with God, it is declaring God's glory? So here we see that even the, the, the names that are used here tell us of God's glory. The law, the commandments, the statutes, the judgments, the fear. Look at, if you look at Joshua chapter 1, 8, very popular verse, very familiar, I'm sure. Joshua chapter 1 and verse 8 says, This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night, that thou mayest observe to do all according to all that is written therein. For then thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and then shalt thou have good success. The simple idea is this. If you want to be successful as a Christian, it will only come as you read, meditate, and obey the word of God. That's where your success comes from. Now, can you imagine if God expected you to be successful and he didn't give you the Bible? It'd be like, I love this story. Um, It'd be like if I look at you and I say, I want you to write me a paper and I'm going to grade it. And you say, how long? And I say, I'm not telling you, but I have a criteria in mind. What kind of paper? Is it fiction? Is it nonfiction? I have criteria in mind, but I'm not going to tell you what it is, but I'm going to grade you based on it. How successful are you going to be? Thank you, Maverick. Very self-aware. I appreciate that. I mean... The likelihood of being successful in that spot is slim to none. Now, can you imagine if God said, hey, I'm going to put you on this earth and I'm going to want you to live a successful walk with me, but I'm not going to tell you how to do it. I'm not going to give you any information. At that point, we would be dying for, longing for, desperate for the law of the Lord. And so the names that it uses here declare God's glory. But not just the names, also its attributes. The attributes that are given to Scripture here declare God's glory. Look what it says again in verse 7. It tells us that it is perfect and sure. In verse 8, it tells us it is right and pure. In verse 9, it tells us that it is clean and true and righteous. Now, prepare for a real deep statement Those are good words. Clean, pure, true, righteous. Those are good things. Okay, let me ask you this. Let's let's do it this way. Let's play a little game. Play a little would you rather. Would you rather have a perfect math test or an imperfect math test? You can interact with me. It just means less of hearing my voice, just so you know. Yeah, look, obviously we'd rather have the perfect math test, right? We'd rather get 100 than anything but 100. Would you rather have pure water or muddy water? Pure, yeah. I mean, would you rather wear clean laundry or dirty laundry? Clean. I mean, unless, never mind, won't go there. Yeah, look, clean, perfect, and pure are three of the adjectives that are used to describe the Bible here. 
I want you to understand something, and, and please don't, I do not mean this to be insulting to anybody's intelligence. When you open this book, I want you to understand that you are opening a perfect work. You are opening a perfect book. You are opening a pure book. There are no imperfections. There are no impurities that you will find in here. You are opening a true book. You will not find a lie. You will not find a falsehood in this book. You are opening a righteous book. By the way, that one is massively under attack these days. But you are opening a book that is good. And when we do so, when we open this book, what we are doing is we are finding a declaration of God's glory. If you would want to look, and we won't read them tonight, but if you want to parallel this part of this uh, psalm, Psalm 119 goes perfectly along with it. Because Psalm 119 is the longest chapter in all of the Bible, 176 verses, and it is all about the Word of God. It's all about what it does. It's all about how valued it is by David. It's all about the, um, the, the attributes, what, like 176 verses of nothing but about the Bible. And so uh, it's a great parallel passage to take with verses 7 through 11. Um, but so we have the Appalachians, Appalachian, yeah, I can get that word out. We have the attributes And then finally, we have its accomplishments. Don't miss this. Look at the end of each of these verses. In verse 7, it says that God's word converts the heart and makes wise the simple. In verse 8, it says it rejoices the heart and it enlightens the eyes. These are not things that are easy to do. Um. I'll use the most basic of all of them, but it is not hard to pull somebody out of a bad funk. When somebody's in a bad mood and they're having a bad day, it is not the easiest thing in the world to rejoice their heart. It's not easy. Um, In fact, all of these tasks, of these four tasks, that's the easiest. Enlightening the eyes, you ever try teaching? I mean, the essence of teaching is enlightening the eyes, is opening the eyes to information that they haven't understood or comprehended before. You ever try teaching? It is not easy. People do not learn easily. People don't like to be told they're incorrect. People don't like to be told they don't know things. Enlightening the eyes is not an easy thing to do. Can I tell you what accomplishes those, both of those things? The word of God. But it even goes a step further because verse 7 tells us that it converts the soul. Now, rejoicing the heart and enlightening the eyes are not easy for a human being to do. But the truth of the matter is there could be somebody who might have a shot of success with it. I can tell you this for absolute certain. There's no man that can convert a soul. I can get up here in my squeaky little voice and I can preach with every ounce of energy I've got. And you know what? If you got on board and you were listening and you were 100% engaged, guess what? I still wouldn't be the one converting the soul. 
I can't convert a soul. You see, these are things that only the Bible can accomplish. In fact, these are only accomplished when the Spirit of God uses the Word of God to make an impact on a person. That's when it happens. And again, I, I, I worded that carefully because the word of God is essential to that. Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 12 says this. Sorry, I paused. I was using my sheet all night. For the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Look, I can't tell the difference between the thoughts and intents of your heart. Nobody can. I can't make a delineation or a distinction between the soul and the spirit. That's hard. It's hard to understand what that is. Hey, guess what? The Bible can. You know, when it says the word of God is quick and powerful, the simple idea is that the word of God is alive and effective. To do what no person can do. And so as we study Psalm 19, we see two very clear illustrations of things that declare God's glory. We see that creation declares the glory of God. And we see that scripture declares the glory of God. But you'll notice that the psalm doesn't end there. Because as David writes these, I believe he begins to reflect. And I believe he gets to the end of verse 11 and he goes, whoa, creation declares God's glory. Scripture declares God's glory. What about me? Look what he writes in verse 12 of Psalm 19. Who can understand his errors? Cleanse thou me from secret faults. Keep back thy servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then shall I be upright and I shall be innocent from the great transgression. He says, God, creation declares your glory perfectly. Scripture declares your glory perfectly. But when I look at myself, I realize that I don't. I realize that there are sins and there are transgressions, that there are presumptuous things, that there are secret things that creep up in my life that prevent me from declaring your glory. And that's when he says something like, cleanse thou me from secret faults. He says, God, creation declares your glory. Scripture declares your glory. I want to declare your glory too. Make me clean so I can declare your glory. And then he ends with one of my favorite verses in all of the Bible. And truth be told, it should be the prayer of every single person here tonight. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. He says, God, there have been, I I see creation declare your glory. And I see scripture declare your glory. And I recognize that 
In my life, there are times that I have not perfectly declared your glory with my thoughts, with my words, with my actions. Moving forward from this point on, let everything that comes in my brain, let everything that comes out of my mouth, let every action I take, let every place I go, let every relationship that I have, let it all bring glory to you. Let it all be acceptable to you. And folks, I'm going to be honest. That's the invitation tonight. We walk out there and we see the remarkable power and majesty of God. We see the complexion and order, complexity and order of God in creation. We look in his word and we see his glory on page after page after page. But tomorrow morning at work, will you declare his glory? When you're interacting with your spouse or when you're interacting with your kids, are you going to declare his glory then? I hope we'll all leave here saying, my greatest desire is to let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer.